It seemed like it had become my life, arriving at crime scene after crime scene. I exited the car with my partner, Jackson. I could see it on his face, too. A weary reluctance to proceed. Not because it couldn't handle what we were about to find. It was because for every one of these murders, it meant that we were failing. Failing to find the sick person who was committing these atrocities. It was our job, our responsibility, to figure this out. And it just kept happening. The immediate area around the crime scene was blocked off. A police perimeter limiting people's access to the site. Far as we knew, the only people who knew about this were some local residents who discovered the body. Contamination of the scene would be relatively minimal. Initial responding officers had controlled the crime scene immediately. Though there were no additional witnesses to the crime scene other than the original report. No suspects detained for questioning. As we approached, I recalled from my notes that this killer has had inconsistent patterns for body disposal, leaving some of their victims in large parks, some in various containers like trash dumpsters, and now in this case, which was in an alleyway between two apartment buildings. The serial or signature elements of the crime were apparent only on the body itself. Walking through the police tape and up to the well-lit crime scene, I hoped in vain that it would not be another in the growing count of this freak's victims. The resident of the apartment complex had found the victim an hour prior to our arrival. Several high-powered lighting units had been set up around the scene. Members of the forensics teams were already on site gathering a multitude of data. I approached the victim's body then, taking in the horrific sight that I had sadly grown accustomed to over the last month. The victim was male, rough estimate in his mid-thirties. Exact cause of death was going to have to wait for the autopsy because the body itself was completely destroyed, flesh having been flayed and eviscerated. One of several things could have ultimately been the cause of this poor person's demise. Based on prior analysis of previous victims, the bodies were often further destroyed after the victims were deceased. The telltale sign of this killer, though, were apparent attempts at some sort of pseudo-medical practice. Straight-line incisions in key areas to perform. God only knows what tasks. Several trays of real surgical equipment had been laid out around the victim. Several different scalpels, clamps, and all manner of torture tools you can think of. This poor soul had been subjected to any number of atrocities while they were captive. It was at that moment that one of the initial responding officers approached me. Evening, detectives. Figure you've seen at this point we have another one. No suspects. Whoever did this was out of here fast. We were patrolling close by when the call came in. Close down the area immediately, he said. I looked at the young officer, probably in his mid-twenties. Any signs of a struggle? I said, looking up and around the area of the body for debris, weapons, or other forms of chaos that would indicate a fight. No, we can't say for sure yet, but we think the body was dumped here like this. Made to look like some kind of random attack, he said. Astute observation, I thought. In fact, it had been one of the early details we noted about the killings. Someone was massacring these poor people off-site and then bringing them here. Thank you. I'll let you know if we have any other questions. I'll let you get back to your report, I said. Thank you, detective, said the officer, who turned and went back to detailing his report along with the forensics team. I turned to my partner, 
who was kneeling down next to the body, trying to take in any additional information we could from this new victim. What do you think? I asked. I think this one's kind of amateur, he said. I raised my eyebrows in surprise. Remaining silent, I waited for him to continue his thought. He noticed my interest and went on. Well, it's either that or this guy's getting sloppy and overconfident. There were a hundred people that could have seen him putting the body here. It was a huge risk. Also, the incisions and damage to the body look uneven, rough. Remember our first one? That person looked like they'd been worked on by a professional surgeon, albeit a murderous one, he said. He was right about all of this. Not sure how I didn't notice it like he did. Maybe all of these crime scenes were starting to blur together, like one long, drawn-out nightmare that never ended. We had set up so much surveillance, so many traps for this creep. Only the pattern changed for every victim. Every time we thought we had reliable intel on where he might strike, we get surprised. It seemed less like an organized killer's mind, and more like that of someone who had been split into many. Someone who can't adhere to one parameter, capitulating to the infighting of the personalities of their own perilous psyche. After we had exhausted the information that could have come from this crime scene, we left back to the station to log our findings. Attempt to find any sort of connection that would bring us closer to a likely suspect. There had been a command center of sorts for the investigation set up months ago. We made our way to a back meeting room where it was located. Several desks had been crammed into this room, each one covered in various papers and files holding data from the ongoing investigation. You could tell that the painstaking work had been going on for some time. The walls were littered with key pieces of information and possible suspects who had been ruled out, unfortunately. Jackson sat in his chair, rubbing his eyes and forehead, undoubtedly exhausted from the efforts and yet another crime scene found right under our noses. Excuse me, detective? A voice behind me said. I turned to see one of the officers from the tech crimes department. We had been involved with the investigation to try to collate our data and see if there were any connections we weren't seeing. So far, they hadn't found much. Yes, has your team found anything interesting? I asked. Actually, yes, we might have, they said, maybe with a little bit of reluctance in their voice. What's wrong? I pressed. They looked off at the rest of the team of investigators, perhaps to see if they would be overheard. Jackson had taken an interest in the conversation, moving forward and listening intently. We found a connection using a national database on crime and police reporting, only the story of what happened has been widely discredited. It's why we haven't found it till now. He told us to check every lead though, no matter how crazy it might seem, they finished. I looked over at Jackson, who put up his hands as if to say, why not? Turning back to the tech team member, I motioned to leave the room and head down to their department. Lead the way, I'm interested, I said. The tech room was much smaller than the meeting room for our investigation HQ, but it had no less stuff packed in it. There were computers everywhere, several of which had been taken apart to be fixed or upgraded. A server room sat adjacent to the workspace. A clear glass doorway showed several lines of server stacks lining the walls throughout. There was a mild hum coming from the room, indicative of some fairly significant fan and air conditioning running at all times. This way, the technician said, 
leading us to a table that had been cleared relative to the other workstations. I took the data you collected about all of the crime scenes to date, key relevant details that fit into a national database. We found a hit. Some kids out in Michigan were exploring abandoned houses and buildings. They went into a hospital and there was some kind of nut in there. A lot of these details these kids talked about correlate to the crime scenes we're seeing. They also said the place was ridden with traps, filled an entire floor with things that would capture them, really sick stuff. I raised my eyes at this new revelation, finally. Something to go on that could give us some clues. I said the kids talked about what they saw, so there were survivors. Could we talk to them? I asked. Yes, and we've already reached out to get an interview with them. Tomorrow morning we can do a virtual meeting, a text said. The nights seemed to drag after this, filing the crime scene reports just to know that our biggest lead was possibly coming in the following morning. I drove home in the early morning hours in a vain attempt to get at least a couple hours of sleep before the interview. The serial killer had been weighing on my mind since the first murders happened. Despite our assurances to the contrary, we were at a loss for direction. Our interview a few hours later was set up as planned. I was faced with a young man, early 20s, who looked to be taking the call from the inside of a dorm room. Chris, thank you for meeting with us, I said. I'm Detective Roberts. My partner here is Detective Jackson. We've been running the investigation into a series of murders in the greater metropolitan area. I assume you're aware of a lot of this. The young man seemed apprehensive, uncomfortable to be talking to us. He reached a hand back to scratch his head, body seemingly unable to sit still. Yeah, he said. Yeah, I know all about it. Didn't know the finer details till your people called me. I'm not sure I can be of much help. You okay? You seem uncomfortable, I asked. I don't really like talking about this, he replied. We found something horrible, and when we reported it, nobody believed us. Made us all look like we were crazy. For what it's worth, I don't think you're crazy, Chris, I said. Yeah, okay, Chris said. We proceeded to talk through the details of what he and his friends had found. The disturbing imagery, all too familiar to the crime scenes we had been investigating up until this point. He described nefarious traps that had been hidden throughout the hospital floor they ended up on that they only barely made it out, with the exception of one of their friends. I winced a little at his description of the individual he saw, someone dressed in a surgical gown, face slashed vertically, as if they had inflicted the wounds on themselves. Thank you for going through all of that again, I said. Apart from those details, is there anything else you might have noticed about this killer? Anything that you think might help us track this guy down? He was silent for a moment before answering. Only that, we were probably the only people in that hospital for a while. He was deep inside the lower floors. If it's the same guy, he's not going to like being a normal resident living in the city in some apartment building. He's going to be hiding in an unlikely, dark place. An abandoned building, like in our town. Something like that, he said. I looked at Jackson, who had gotten up from his seat and moved to where our crime scene reports had been stored. I turned back to Chris then. Thank you, Chris. 
We'll call you if we need anything, I said. We hung up the virtual call and I went to Jackson, who had broken open the file of reports from the previous night. Specifically, he was looking at a map of the surrounding area of the crime scene. Find something? I asked. I don't know. Maybe. You remember those two apartment buildings from last night? He asked. Of course. What about them? I queried. Well, there are old shops on the bottom level. I mean, really old. Some of the shops having first opened in the early 1900s. I remember seeing they were renovating at least one of them. It used to be an old saloon back in the day. When I was a kid, we took a field trip around the city to explore historical landmarks. That saloon was around during the Prohibition days. They have tunnels underneath the building that they used to smuggle booze. They're supposed to be completely caved in now, impossible to navigate. They allegedly sealed them off years ago too, but... He trailed off, looking up at me from the map. I put my hand to my head, the realization hitting me right in the face. It should be impossible, but it all fits. I grabbed my jacket and we practically ran out of the door of the station. It was a silent drive there. I think we both wanted to see for ourselves if this lead was possible. Jackson's memory of the lower part of the apartment building was spot on. Several signs had been put up, noting a new store coming in the early part of the following year. Notices had been placed around the entrance, indicating that hard hats were required, so they were still well into gutting the place and renovating. There was paper covering most of the windows, but a small section had been peeled away and I could see inside. It was truly down to the bare bones, the raw skeleton of the structure. Several tools were around the inside, along with materials for the renovation stacked in neat piles in the corners. Jackson looked at the handle of the building door and tried it, locked. We wouldn't be able to check this place out without a search warrant. Jackson tried the door again though, this time trying to force it open a little harder. What you thinking? I asked. Huh. I think we arrived at the crime scene to gather more details and, uh, we heard someone inside here screaming for help, he said, looking up at me. I nodded, offering my silent agreement that we will both report we heard someone in distress. With that, we grabbed a brick that had been laying just outside the door and put it through the glass window. Reaching through and unlocking the main door from the inside, we gained entry to the construction area. The paper all over the window as the light inside was dim at best. Dust swirled as the air from the outside blew in and disturbed the silent calm of the work area. Jackson and I both clicked on our flashlights. Scanning the immediate area, we found a trail of blood on the floor, which led straight to the entrance we just forced open. Following it led us to a metal plate covering the floor. A sign nearby read, Caution, Unfilled Manhole. Jackson moved to it immediately, inspecting the cover to find that it had been intended as a temporary cover only. A lock had been placed on it to ensure no one opened it without authorization. Only... Someone's cut the lock, Roberts, said Jackson. Without any further delay, Jackson grabbed an inlaid handle in the cover and began to pull up. I was standing several feet away, having been taking a closer look at the blood trails that led out the door. As Jackson started to remove the cover, something clicked in my head, reminding me of the story I had just heard from that urban explorer, that they had found the entrance to the killer's lair laden with traps. Jackson, hold on! I 
started to say, but it was too late. There was an explosion, one of such significant force that I was picked up off my feet and thrown toward the far wall, my view of Jackson immediately obscured by a cloud of dust and smoke. The air was completely knocked out of my lungs, and my ears rang long and loud, senses completely nullified other than pain. I groaned as I tried to get to my feet. Everything hurt from the concussive blast that threw me from the room where the manhole was. Jackson! I croaked, voice barely recognizable as my lungs struggled to work normally. I shuffled back to the room with a manhole, coughing from all the dust and smoke in the air, making it difficult to see and breathe. Then I saw Jackson. He was on the ground, body twisted into an unnatural position. I crouched down, rolling him onto his back. Several pieces of shrapnel had pierced his body, and his arms and legs looked as if they'd been mostly torn off. His eyes were open, still, and glazed over. A wave of disbelief washed over me. How could this have happened? How could we have fallen into one of the traps we were warned about? I looked at the manhole, which had since had the cover blasted clean off of it. Inside was a dark hole, an old wooden ladder, the only means of safely entering the tunnel. Jackson's flashlight had hit a wall nearby, it was still shining brightly. I grabbed it and pointed it into the now open manhole. I was shocked to see there was a person standing there. Not just that they were there, apparent in the manhole, but their appearance was utterly unnerving. They were wearing the surgical gown that Chris had described for me. Their face was absolutely mangled. Vertical scars covered their face, several of which looked to be fresh and still bleeding. They were smiling, I think, face contorted with the heavy scarring on it. Hey! I tried to shout, but my lungs were still struggling to recover from the blast. Smoke and dust still permeated the air, making breathing difficult. A wave of anger came over me then. I needed to catch this freak and put an end to this. If not for Jackson's sake, who gave his life to track this murderer down, but for all of the soon-to-be victims that he would pull into his lair. I reached over Jackson's body, finding his radio attached to his vest. I pressed the orange button, sending out an officer down signal to alert backup to come to this location. Then I turned to the manhole, moving my legs onto the wooden ladder. I started to lower myself down coughing still from the blast and the dust and the smoke. I planted my feet on the dirt floor of the manhole. I started down a narrow, dark passageway, just wide enough for a person to walk through. This was it. I'd pursue this guy into the darkness, into the lair, and whatever was waiting for me.